0: Authors like Sir Conan Doyle, Dorothy Sears, and Agatha Christie made millions weaving their tales of the cunning sleuth with his or hers uncanny problem-solving abilities. Our discussion leader, Dave Woodson, is going to tell us about mysteries, and he will reveal who he believes is the greatest mystery writer ever. This author has written a riddle that no one could solve unless he gave them the key. Some of you might not know it, but I'm kind of a mystery nut. I think I got it from my mom. From the time I was a little kid, my mom read mystery stories. She couldn't sleep well at night, so she'd stay up all night long trying to figure out Agatha Christie mystery stories. Now, the thing that makes a mystery intriguing, you see an author takes several conflicting events, and usually there's some violence in it, but it's not usually brutal, bloody violence like a horror story. But there's some violence, and then they've got a lot of conflicting characters, and they give you these false leads and pathways. And what makes a mystery so intriguing is, is it's very similar to a New York Times crossword puzzle. And if you think about it and get all the details before you, a lot of times, even intuitively, it'll come to your mind. And What makes that mystery fun is beating the author, not really beating the author, but but being able to solve the riddle before they want you to solve it. Now, I want you to imagine that you were reading a mystery story and it was impossible for you to solve the mystery. Now, that might be some of you here because some of you might not like mystery stories at all. And I want you to think about the fact that if you don't like mystery stories it might just be because you don't ever solve them you see some people are really gifted at working on cars other people are really gifted in languages some people are gifted at mystery stories but some people aren't and some people are not in the sense that they can never figure it out and so what they say about the mystery story is oh that's just boring who wants to read a mystery story anyway and the truth of the matter is the reason they don't like the mystery story is because they don't have the capability to solve it. Now just imagine a mystery story that's being written that nobody on the planet can solve. I mean no human being that's ever lived could solve it. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about a mystery story and the stakes in this mystery story are incredibly high because this mystery story has to do with what is God like? Does he love me? Does he hate me? Is he a dragon or is he a loving, gentle father? What is God doing in the world? What happens a split second after I die? Where do I go? Does life just cease? In other words, when this ticker stops and I die, is that just the end of everything? A lot of people think that. But deep in your heart, what happens to you after you die? How do you know you just stop and cease to exist? Lots of people in the world down through the centuries have believed that there is an almighty being and that there is a life eternal and one day you are going to stand before him. How do you know you're going to be ready to stand before him if you have to? Now, you see, those are big, big questions. In fact, they're so big that most of us spend a lot of our time running away from the mystery story pretending like there isn't any mystery, pretending like we can just live every day like we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. But every once in a while, this this dread comes over us and we realize we are living in a mystery. Is there a God? Does He love me? How can I be sure I'm going to be ready to meet Him? Now, those are vital questions in this mystery story. I want to share something with you. And I want every one of you to get this thought down because it's the major thing The Apostle Paul wants to teach us today. You and I do not have the capabilities to solve that most strategic of all mystery stories. You see, you're living in a mystery. You received the gift of life. You're here. You didn't plan for it. You didn't work for it. You arrived and you're here today and you're living a mystery in your own power, in your own strength, you cannot figure out the riddle to life. Now, there's two groups of people here, according to Paul. Some of you know the answer to the mystery story because the author told you the answer. You could have never figured it out for yourself. You could have never started with your own reason, with your own intuition, and woke up like I did in the middle of the night and said, Oh, I've got it! None of you could do that. But there are some of you, in fact, many of you, that do have the answer to that mystery, the most vital of all mysteries, the answer to the riddle of life. There's another group here that's still trying to solve the mystery in your own strength. You're pridefully standing up in life saying, I know how to live and I'm gonna figure out this riddle and I'm gonna live a meaningful life all by myself. I'm gonna do my own thing. And I wanna share with you, Paul's gonna say, you cannot get there from that stance. It's impossible. You don't even have the equipment to do it. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We want to go on from where we left off last week. We talked about a preacher last week that was not eloquent, that was not good-looking, that was not quick with words, and yet he was the most powerful man of God that was used other than Jesus Christ in all the history of the Christian church. Why? Because the Spirit of God was so mightily upon him. The Apostle Paul has been spending a whole chapter from the middle of chapter 1 all the way through the first introductory section to chapter 2 trying to get the Corinthians, their eyes off themselves, off their pride, off looking at their own human ingenuity and wisdom and trying to get their eyes back on one focal object and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2 verses 6 through 16, He changes gears and he does talk to us about wisdom. Because some of you in the last few weeks, if you've been able to be with us, and if not, you can go back and read it this afternoon and pick up the story. Paul has been speaking to us against the wisdom of this world. Paul has been saying that the gospel is not the wisdom of this world. It's not human eloquence. It's not human IQ power. And you might get the idea that Paul is is poo-pooing all of wisdom and saying you just need to be ignorant, and you just need to be sloppy in your speaking. And that's not true. The Apostle Paul is not against the use of our minds. We've stressed over, over again that believers never need to be afraid of the truth, of seeking to find the truth, the real truth. In fact, I believe that all that really genuinely want to find the truth will eventually come to Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. But you can't get there from your own self-effort. You have to get down on your knees and humble yourself. Now, the Apostle Paul, in order to correct this, this false impression that we might get that might cause all the children to stop going to school, and you might love to do that, but Paul would not teach you to do that, Or some of you that are back from college might say, well, I don't think I'll go to college anymore because Paul says that all wisdom is nothing. We need to clarify some things because the Apostle Paul was not against wisdom as such. He was against an egotistical kind of intellectualism that said, I'm the measure of all things. I can figure out the puzzle for myself. I don't have to learn from the Creator. I'll decide whether or not there even is a Creator. It's that egoism, that... That autonomous kind of a spirit that Paul is after in the chapters that we've been looking at so far. Now look at verse 6 because he does talk about a wisdom that he does teach among the mature believers. We do. We the apostles, however, do speak a message or a word. He's been talking to us about the word of the cross versus the words of Judaism and the words of Greek philosophy. We do, however, do speak a word. A message, a revelation of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak about God's secret wisdom. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us, many of you that are here, by his spirit. I want you to look at the kind of wisdom the Apostle Paul speaks about among the mature. Now, let's clarify what we mean by mature. Because Some of you might say, well, that means that the Lord tells special things to the elders of our church. Or maybe if you get to be a deacon, then the Lord tells some special things to them. But many of you're just a, a regular believer, you really cannot become one of these inner circles. I want to share something with you. There are no inner circles in the family of God. In fact, Paul uses a word that was often used in secret societies. Now, some of you have been exposed to secret societies. You know where you have books that only the initiated can read and only a few people can enter into There are secret societies. Now what Paul is talking about here is not that kind of a society. You see in the ancient world there were societies as well. There are all different groups that you could become a part of that only the initiated could be in. But I think that all of us should be very thankful that there is no exclusive club in the family of God. Now, you might have your societies in other walks of life, and you might join your unions or join whatever you do in your jobs at work, or you might be against those things, whatever it is. But in God's family, I want you to realize, and I want all of you to get this down, in God's precious family of believers, there are no initiates, There are no superior people. There are no groups of people that can say, well, we know more. We have deeper insight into the plan and the purpose of God. In fact, Paul uses the word maturity to be a goal for every single one of us. Paul will say in Philippians chapter 3, not that I've already attained or were already perfect. The Apostle Paul didn't claim to already be mature, already have everything together, already be totally complete in Christ. But he said, this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press forward to attain all that Christ laid hold of me for. Paul said that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain unto the resurrection of the dead. The goal of the Christian life for every single one of us is to become mature. Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29, the Apostle Paul says this, We proclaim not a secret that only a few people can hear about, not some special information that you have to have about 150 IQ to understand it. Paul didn't say that. He said, we proclaim Him. That is, Jesus Christ. We proclaim Him, teaching every man and admonishing every man. Why? And here's the word. That we might present everyone complete, mature, perfect in Christ. You see, the goal of the Christian life is for all of us to become mature. And I want to challenge you, don't settle down and say, well, I'm saved, that's all I need to do. That's not why Christ died on the cross for you. He didn't just die as a fire escape so you could run out at the last minute, get out of the burning building before it goes. Or you could jump in the lifeboat just as the ship goes down and play all the games on the ship. The ocean liners, you know, fool around a whole life. But just before the ship goes down, you jump off into the lifeboat and say, Hey, I'm saved. Man, if you have that approach to the Christian life, you're the pauper. Because you're missing all the rich things that God has for you in the new kingdom. In the new way that he wants you to live. And so I want to make it very clear that as the Apostle Paul talked to the Corinthians against their idea that there were a few select members of their group who had superior knowledge and had received special revelations that only the initiated could have. Against that kind of exclusiveness that started to develop a party spirit, the Apostle Paul had the goal for all the Corinthians to become mature. But as we'll learn as we study the book further, not all of them were mature. In fact, many of them were just little crying babies that always have to have the bottle put in their mouth. They're just crying babies. Believers that should have grown, and yet they've stayed immature. And so as we begin this chapter, the Apostle Paul in verse 6 does say that he does speak a wisdom. He does give insight into the plan and purpose of God among the mature. But then he says, but it's not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Now we speak the wisdom of God. And I want you to see some of the characteristics of the wisdom of God. Number one, it's not a wisdom of this age. God's wisdom is a wisdom that takes into account eternity. Now, as we think about this passage, how do you evaluate things? How do you look at things? A very strong tendency inside of me evaluates things from the here and now. We evaluate things in terms of this life, in terms of where we are at a particular point in this life. And I want you to think back over this life. And I want you to think about the things that were really important to you. What were the things that were really important to you when you were six years old? Cowboys and Indians were really important to you when you were six years old. What else was really important to you when you were six? Bicycle was really important to you. A horse to ride was really important. Okay, Sam? You liked what? Matches. Oh, brother. All right, let's move up. What about when you were teenagers? What were some of the things that were really important to you when you were teenagers? Automobile was really important. All right. Clothes was really important. Friends are really important. Girls. Girls are really important. All right, let's move up to the adults. What are some of the things important to adults? The kids might want to jump in here. What's important to your mom and dad? Vacations in Hawaii. Good, good. All right, good. Job. Now, what I want you to think about, think about something that at some time in your life that you powerfully wanted it. I mean, it was the whole meaning of your life But when you got it, it didn't totally satisfy for very long. Now, we all know that, right? How many of you have found something that's just on this planet, just has to do with this present life, that's totally satisfied you? And some of you might think you have now, but it'll run out. It won't last for a whole lifetime. Every one of us can look back. In fact, one of the problems at Christmas is that you never get quite as high as you used to get. In fact, that's the whole key of the Christmas blues. Some of you are even blue today, Do you know what one of the problems that some of you are having? You see, you start evaluating, am I really happy? Boy, if only I could have all that excitement. You see, we as adults say, oh, if only I could have the naivety of the little children. You need to watch the little children. They're not the naive ones so much. It's us sophisticated ones that think we control everything, that we really know what life is all about, that we know about all the hard times. It's us cynics that really don't know what the story is. Because I'm going to talk to you about some gracious gifts that God has given to you, every one of you, and you might have eaten just a bowl of cereal, yet from this passage, you're as rich as you can imagine. But you'll never understand those riches if you look at it from just this life's perspective. The second thing is not one of you can ever figure out what God's plan is. It says in this passage that no, we speak the secret wisdom of God, a wisdom that has been hidden. It's a mystery. You see, God has chosen to not set up the universe so you can start with an autonomous person. You can use your brain. You can use your intuition. You can figure out everything. I'm not saying that man can't figure out anything. You can figure out how to design a car. You can figure out math problems. You can figure out how to cook. You can figure out how to send satellites into space. You can figure out all kinds of things. You can analyze the atom. You can trace the different things that that the Creator has done. God never said you couldn't do that. But I'm going to tell you what you can't do. You'll never be able to start with just yourself and figure out the meaning of life. Figure out what happens in eternity. You'll never be able to figure out how to get ready for eternity. In fact, the harder you try to answer those questions in your own strength, the farther you'll get from the answer. Now that sounds so blind some ways, but I want you to think hard about it. Because it's one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings. And many of you in your relationship with God have a terrible struggle because you're always trying to figure it out. You're always saying, okay, God, you do this for me, then I'll have it figured out. Let's have a test case. We'll run a fleece case. You get the fleece wet, I'll believe in you. Now turn off the faucet, then I'll believe in you. A lot of us have the idea that that's the way you get along with God. Gideon was not being a great man of God when he put out those fleeces and tested God and looked for evidence like that, that kind of evidence. Now, God has given all kinds of evidence. But you won't hear any of it. You won't receive any of it. As long as you step back and say, okay, I'm going to work from point A myself and get to point B, God. You can't do it. You know why? Because God's purposely designed the universe so that you cannot do that. You know why? Because he didn't want a bunch of eggheads in heaven. God doesn't want a bunch of intellectuals in heaven that pridefully think they know more than anybody else. All of them will be in hell. Aren't you glad? And God doesn't want any powerful people in heaven. God doesn't want any politicians in heaven that stand up and say, I've got the answer. There will be nobody in heaven that's like that unless they get really humble. Nobody in heaven will be saying, man, I worked my way up here. Man, I found the golden ladder, climbed right up. Here I am, God. Aren't you glad to have me in heaven? Nobody will coming soldering into the kingdom, the throne room of God and say, well, God, I arrived. Here I am. None of that in heaven. God obliterated all that. Didn't want anybody at all like that. The only people He wants in heaven are humble people. Humble people that realize that God designed the universe, that it's a mystery. It's a secret. And you know what? Your mind couldn't even conceive the secret. Your ears have never heard the secret. Your eyes have never seen the secret. There's no way you can even find out what the secret is in your own strength. Now, that ought to make you feel really good. Here we are, weak little us. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We don't even have the receiver to get a hold of it. And that's what it means. It's a mystery. This is a mystery that not one of you will ever, ever figure it out. Second of all, God came up with this mystery before time began. It says in eternity past, before the ages, God came up with this plan. Isn't that incredible? Just think about eternity. Before there was ever time, no watches. Timex would be broke. All the Swiss companies would be broke. You didn't need any watches at this time. In eternity past, God conceived this plan. He before determined. God planned. He determined this whole way of doing things. Now, some of you get all upset with that. I don't want God to do that. I'm going to do my own destiny. Go right ahead. You go right ahead and do your own thing. You build your own companies. You work your own job. You build your houses. You do whatever you want to people. You know what? You'll do exactly what God was expecting you to do all along. And you'll do it freely. You'll make all the free choices. But when it's all said and done, you'll be shaking your fist in front of God. And you'll fit into God's story perfectly. You'll be the villain. I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. You can get angry with me. You can fight with God, but he's going to win. And man, you go, oh, God, I don't like this. Stop that. Get down on your knees. You'll be all right. But God's already got the whole story planned out. He did it before you were even on the planet, before there was even a planet, before there was a universe, before there was matter and energy. God conceived it all in his mind. But you know what? God's not a mean ogre. You know what God conceived in his mind? Can you imagine what God can see in His mind? You know what God's going to do? God's plan is to glorify you. God's plan is to boast about you. We talk about the need to boast about Christ. And that's what we need to do. But you know what God's going to do for you for all of eternity? He's going to boast about you. You know what God's going to do is some of you don't really like your bodies so well. And don't raise your hand. Don't give yourself away. But the truth of the matter is, a lot of you really don't like your bodies very well. And playing basketball a couple of days ago, I'm deciding very quickly I don't like my body so well either. Dave Lowry and I look like some old codgers up here. You know, we play for a couple of hours and we're cripples. He calls me up. Oh, my ankle, my ankle. Man, we're, you know, it, our bodies really wear out quick. When we first came to this, look what you've done to us. When we first came to this church, none of that. No creeks. We don't like our bodies. Over. Wait till you see my heavenly body. I'm going to be over seven feet tall in heaven. I don't know how big I'll be. But we laugh about that. You think there's beauty on this earth? You know what God has in plan? His plan from the eternity past, he's been planning. To make you the most beautiful people. He's going to give you the most beautiful body you can ever imagine. And you might be ugly as a witch right now. But you can relax about it. Because, man, you're just an ugly duckling getting ready to fly. And you say, man, I'm getting old. And the wrinkles are coming. Everything's coming. Don't worry. It's just preparation time. You're just on the launching pad. It's fine. I mean, the earthly body you've got right now is just a It's just a shell. Man alive, God has just beginning to get things off the ground for you. So you can age gloriously. You can just keep this body going just as long as you can, because you're gonna get a brand new one. Do you believe that? Oh, I just pray that you'll have the gift. There's some humble, simple, childlike believers that believe that. And because they believe it, as they grow older, they're sweeter and they're kinder, and they're more useful for God, and they're such an encouragement to me and the pastorate because their faith is such an eloquent testimony of what faith can do.